You're listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. You can find out more about this and other network shows, as well as Small Town Monsters films, books, our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, and much more at smalltownmonsters.com. Good evening, folks. Welcome back to STM Live. My name is Aaron. I am a human adult, um, and I am your host tonight. We have an awesome guest lined up who I know you're all very eager to hear from. Um, but first things first, couple things to get out of the way. You have a couple days left, three at time of recording, um, to get free shipping on orders over $50 over at the Small Town Monsters shop using discount code BigfootChristmas23. So don't miss out on that. Check all the STM merch that you didn't have the chance to pick up this year off your list. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think you should do it. Uh, <laughs> in other news, we have a new episode of The Lore You Know available right now. Our guest this week is Mr. Brian Seach. We do have another new episode coming for you guys this coming Monday, but don't miss out on Brian's interview in the meantime. And speaking of upcoming things, join us on February the 1st of next year, 2024, for the Small Town Monsters Kickstarter live stream launch party. You can Hang out with the STM crew, ask questions, answer trivia questions, which will be asked to you, win prizes, and we'll be running previews of some of our upcoming projects. So don't miss out on that. And last but not least, speaking of the Kickstarter, this week we announced one of the rewards that's going to be available to our backers, uh, the Jonathan Dodd Goatman design, which also has some other monsters on there, hinting at some of the other projects we have coming up. But check that out. Don't miss it. Head over to Kickstarter and check out the preview page so you can sign up for notifications. And we've got some other rewards we're going to be announcing later as we go forward. So check that out. Mark your calendars. Welcome to everybody who's here so far. I'm seeing a whole bunch of familiar faces and some new ones as well. So welcome, everybody. Welcome. Very great to see you all. Uh, thank you, Jasmine. Thank you. I, uh, I love this shirt. A friend gave it to me. I know the people that host the show. It's uh, it's great. All right, so let's get into it. Let's bring up tonight's guest. You don't want to hear from me. You want to talk to him. Welcome back, Mr. Eli Watson. Hey, I feel like I was just here. You were. You were here recently. Yeah. I was trying to remember today who's been on this show more, if it was you or Alex. Uh, and I Probably didn't, Alex. I didn't bother to go back and look. I guess I could do that. But um, no, it's great <laughs> to have you back, man. <laughs> Always a great time. Yeah. A quick welcome to our new squad members, uh, Caveman Lang. And I'm going to mess this up and I'm going to apologize in advance. Ian Phillips. Ian. Maybe that's Luann. Luann, is that an L? I straight up on this screen. But uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining the squad. Uh, The squad is great. We'll talk about that as we go because squad members got early access to this episode, even though it's now out for everybody now. So, Eli, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I am chilling. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, right before I hopped on here, I was actually working on episode three of this very same series. Ooh. So this is yeah. this. I've, I've, I did have a question for you on this that I didn't write down, but I feel like the editing process for this series has to be really intense and correct me if i'm wrong but especially with this episode where you're dealing so much with these like waveforms and spectrographs Mm -hmm. like that must have been an intensive process just like arranging all of that well it was it was a lot to deal with um and actually 
I think both the first and the second episodes were probably the most difficult to put together, I'm hoping, of the whole series. Um, just because I was dealing with all the footage of the whole series and deciding what's going to be episode one, what's going to be episode two. But now that I've kind of established what the show is and the kind of narrative that I'm going to follow throughout the next couple of episodes, through the next four episodes, um, it's going to, it's all falling into place a lot easier for me. Um, <laughs> that was trippy. I saw you sneeze or cough and didn't hear it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've gotten really good at the quick mute function. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it is pretty intense. And actually, if you don't mind, I will go off a little bit about the length of the show. Please, please do this, that. This was a long one at an hour and a half. And uh, I didn't set out to make an hour and a half long documentary, but I am actually really proud of how it all came together. The storyline, there's what I'm most proud of is that there's nothing wasted in it. Everything that gets brought up all comes back later in the episode. And because normally you set up a series where it's like, oh, you mentioned things and then it gets brought up in the next episode or two episodes later. But with episode two, it, it's really nice because it feels really self-contained. Like I opened the episode talking about Mouse Camp and then the very last thing, you know, because it's kind of a timeline of going through stuff. And the very last thing that gets brought up is Chris's potential sighting at Mouse Camp. And I didn't really plan it that way, but it worked out that way. And I was like, wow, that's that was amazing <laughs> that it all worked out like that. That was a great start to the episode, too, because you get this lighthearted story, which I do have a follow-up question for you on, uh, you know, at the beginning, before it gets into this very serious and, and scientific subject matter. Yeah, the mouse camp story. Um, you know, it's funny because that happened. That was my very first shoot for Small Town Monsters back in 2021, and I... I mean, I wasn't awake for the story. So um, I found out about it the next morning. But apparently when Alex decided to go to bed, he opened up the tent and saw this mouse trying to get out. And um, and eventually climbed out of the tent. And I guess I was asleep in there for an hour or so with a, with a mouse in the tent. And uh, yeah, so that was like really cool. And I really, I it didn't hit me. Cause you know, then I left and then I went and did a bunch of beyond the trails and went all over the country and this, that, and the other. And it wasn't until this trip in September that I realized that, Oh, these guys really do call it mouse camp and they call it mouse camp because of me. <laughs> <laughs> Follow up question. Um, and you can come clean. This is a safe place for, for this. Did you bring the mouse in there with you intentionally? Was this, <laughs> was this a plant? Was this a prank? Was it a trained mouse? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm afraid that was a wild mouse. So, <laughs> you could yeah, you could have told me it was. I would have believed you. Yeah, that happy birthday mouse. Uh, I love that Shane sends that to me. It's hilarious. That's, that's a wonderful anecdote. Yeah, it started off, and I was like, "Oh man, this is hilarious." I was literally laughing out loud. 
Um, and then again, it rolls into the really serious stuff that we'll we'll get into shortly. But, sure. Uh, but do please, as we go, folks, drop your questions and your comments in the chat over here. Um, we always try to get to everybody's questions. So, uh, oh, speaking of the mouse, we do have a question from Vicky. You named him Mickey, didn't you? Did we you could. Could I don't know. Um, anytime someone brings up a mouse, I, I have Dr. Seuss on the brain a lot these days for some reason. And uh, green eggs and ham, would you eat them with a would you eat them with a mouse? Would you eat them in a house? That's what I think of when someone says a mouse. That's fair. I don't that's fair. I don't know the relevance of that. <laughs> I should probably ask you a real question before people start logging off. Um, <laughs> we the, the central focus of this episode is very much about the audio evidence and it being analyzed and, and compared and contrasted with things. Um, and this is touched on in the video, but you know, if we're just kind of logging on to this right now and we haven't, you know, if you're someone who's not super familiar with this Bigfoot audio stuff, um, are there known animals in this area that can produce these kinds of tones? Is this something that could be naturally in the environment or what, what's your take on that? Uh, well, as far as we know, there's no known species that really makes sounds like that, especially uh, the ones that really stick out to me, you know, I guess there's two different types of vocals that are in this episode that stick out to me the most. Cause I feel like with some of the other stuff you could, and I've seen it in the comments already, people are dismissing it as, Oh, it's their dogs or their coyotes howling in the wind or whatever. Okay. Sure. Dismiss those. But then you still have those singing vocals, which are like these weird vocalizations followed by clear whistles of two different pitches, which is not bird-like at all. Those single tone whistles, you know, that's, it's not bird-like at all. And then you also have the chimp fit noise, which is very reminiscent of the chimpanzees, which just reminds it just, the episode goes into it in great detail, but it's, I mean, there's nothing else that sounds like it, but chimpanzees. So mm -hmm. it's bizarre. And so maybe this is controversial, but I think, you know, Sasquatch is a natural phenomenon. I think it's an animal. So yeah, something is naturally producing these sounds, mm -hmm. but just not an identified species that we know of. Yeah. It's genuinely creepy stuff. Like I, I'm, you know, I remember watching this episode when it came out, when it went live for squad members last week. And I was like, this is uncomfortable to listen to in a way. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's uncanny, especially the, the more musical or singing tones like you're talking about. Like that's, that's a level of strange that you don't run into often, even in the Bigfoot community. It's, it's crazy stuff, man. Yeah. And I, I'll take that, take a moment to, to praise Chris Spencer once again, because he, he really has put in so much time recording all that stuff. And I mean, he talks about how he recorded every single night of 2022 and he caught a single vocal, that singing vocal once in October of 2022 out of the entire year. They only made that sound once in that area next close enough for the recorder to pick it up. Right. Because 
the, the audio recorders don't cover a very large swath of the woods, you know? Um, mm. So it's, it's pretty incredible that that's the lengths you have to go to in order to collect evidence of this kind. Like everything in this video is years worth of effort put together in an hour and a half, you know? It really, so. it's so much, man. Yeah. And that's, that's why I had that question for you about the editing process. Cause there is so much data in this episode. I mean, it really is. You have to pay attention. Um, you know, I, I've rewatched most of it today while my son was sleeping and I'm just like, dang, dude, it, it's, it's intense. You did a, you oh. did a knockout job on it. I mean, really. It's, <laughs> well, thank you. I have my notebook here that I keep next to me while I edit because I'm constantly piecing together a timeline of everything. So it's straightforward for me. <laughs> you know? it sounds exhausting. It sounds exhausting. Um, we do have a comment from Scott squad member, not really a question, but we don't only take questions. Um, it's one of the first times my wife watched from start to finish with me and she was fascinated by the audio. Thank you, Scott. That's great to hear. Thanks, Scott. Always, always good to see Scott. We do have a few audience questions that we'll go ahead and start getting to. Uh, let's see. Our friend Michael Tovar, Eli, the sound recordings played during the show, have those been analyzed yet to clarify what made them? Uh, I'm not entirely sure what you mean. Uh, because without, without knowing, without seeing the animal make the sound, you can never be sure what made the sound. So it's all speculative. And that's like, Chris goes into this, uh, in the episode as well is he, didn't just record and looking for Sasquatch vocalizations. He was looking to catalog all the known sounds in the area, all the sounds in the area. So anytime a bird or a dog or anything goes off, he catalogs that mentions the species of what's happening. And then also what kind of call it is. And then once you filter that out, you're left with, unknown or suspect vocalizations. So Chris actually never calls them Sasquatch vocalizations or anything like that. They're always suspect, you know? And I, I mean, that's the whole thing without, we know what sound the birds make because people have recorded the birds. People have watched the birds as they've re recorded them. So we know this is what that species is. And we've done that for every known species. And so that's how Chris is able to go through using the Macaulay Library of Sounds to compare the sounds that he's recording to known species. And then what's left over are these suspect vocalizations that maybe they are something else. Maybe there is something that we know, like a dog or something, but it also doesn't sound like a dog. So, But we also didn't see the animal, whatever animal that made these sounds, make those sounds. So we can never... 100% be like, oh, a Sasquatch made this sound, but it's a suspect vocalization. We think that's what they're making. So I, I guess that's, that's as far as we can go with that. Okay. Yeah. So it's been analyzed as far as we can, but missing those other data points, we can't conclusively say it is this, is that. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I wondered about that too. Like, is there, 
as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, oh, is there a database that we can run sounds through that'll go, oh, this is definitely a Chihuahua. So no, that's, that's yeah. Oh yeah. That's the Macaulay library sounds. I think, um, I don't know who Macaulay is, but <laughs> it's, uh, some sort of institution dedicated to, uh, you know, wildlife audio. And so that's where, you know, the chimpanzee sounds that Chris compares what he calls chimp fit to comes from. That's where he found those those vocals of actual chimpanzees that were recorded and observed, you know. So, yeah, that's that's how Chris does a lot of what he does. So interesting. Well, speaking of chimpanzees, uh, that's a great, great segue to our next question. BH asks, uh, hi, Aaron and Eli. Wonderful documentary. Eli, do you think Sasquatch is closely related to chimps? The sounds were really reminiscent of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's quite possible. I do think Sasquatch is another great ape. So it would be in the same family. I think I talked about this in our last live stream. There's never a one-to-one -one ratio. Like Sasquatch is not a chimp. Sasquatch is not a gorilla. So there's not a one-to-one. -one, oh, it acts like a gorilla or, oh, it acts like a chimpanzee, but it's part of the family. So it has attributes of both. So like chimpanzees construct nests up in the trees but gorillas construct their nests on the ground hmm. but the vocalizations that sasquatch reportedly makes that we suspect that they make sound more like chimpanzees and you know based on observation and collating all this data together we can assume that they have home ranges more similar to orangutans so it's it's a concoction of all these different different apes but they also display habits of their own right so because they they would be their own species they're not one-to-one -one. so yeah i think they might be i think they are closely related to chimps so hmm. well here's a question from caster um great question caster i see uh said something to the effect of sorry for asking about diet when you're talking about audio, but diet is incredibly important. No need to apologize. Uh, <laughs> Caster asks, have you noticed what they might eat? Has anyone done work on what they might eat slash be able to digest that differs from us like ferns and fiddles? And this may, this may be another question we could compare to ape biology, but what do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, the little fiddles, I'm not sure if those are out in Washington. They might be, um, I know you can eat like the tips of pines and that's a good source of vitamin C. Um, but the nest area itself, and, and actually I was, I actually cut out a bunch of footage of us talking about berries from episode two that I'm prob probably going to put in episode three here, but there's several instances where I stop to eat huckleberries that I find salau berries that I find and blackberries that I find. And those three types of berries alone provide huge amounts of caloric intake and plenty of uh, nutritional value that an animal like that would probably need. And then on top of that, the, the ravine that's talked about a lot in these episodes, which I realize now I actually never went and filmed because I'll be honest. It's a, it's a pain to get down there and it's a pain to get back up. It's, <laughs> but that ravine is a salmon bearing stream. So in February and September, 
I don't know about September actually, but in February, there's plenty of salmon that go through there. So there's an excellent source of protein in that area as well. Not to mention there's deer in that area and, you know, all sorts of little rodents and stuff. So there's plenty for them to eat in that area alone. So, um, and that's the other thing, you know, none of the other great apes seem to be particularly carnivorous, but the, I guess the great assumption by a lot of Sasquatch researchers is that Sasquatch is a bit more carnivorous than other great apes. Uh, there's, there's reports of people seeing them killing deer, uh, reports, a few reports of them catching fish. So it's, it's, it's possible. And, you know, other great apes do eat meat on occasion, especially chimpanzees, I think chimps and orangutans and, and obviously we do, but (laughs) so, so I don't know. It's, for an animal that size, if you're talking about an ape that's seven feet tall, three feet wide, it's going to need to subsist off of more than just berries um, and leaves. It's going to need something of of substantial value, and that would be salmon or deer. Hmm. An, an omnivorous diet would make sense, but it's, again, one of those data points we're missing. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we know that they make uh, the ne- the nests that were found were all made out of huckleberry. And I'm assuming they were eating some of the huckleberry as they were going along. So I, I don't see, I, how do I put this? I think they inhabit a similar ecological niche to a bear where bears omnivorous mm-hmm. and it's a large mammal. And this would inhabit the kind of the same space. And so that's a big debate is like if Sasquatch exists, the greatest competitor to it is a bear. And I don't, I don't know. Again, there's a lot of missing information. That's all speculation, but that's, that's what we can kind of extrapolate. Hmm. Great question, Caster. Thanks for that. Very interesting line of speculation. Um, we're going to deviate a little bit just cause I love this question and I want to hear you answer it. Uh, Alex Ventura asks, are there any dogman sightings in, or, or sorry, any dogman in Oregon? Cause I live in the Dales, Dal, Dallas, the Dallas. Yeah. The Dallas. Dallas. Far. Not familiar with Oregon. Um, I don't know. Took me a long time to figure out the Oregon pronunciations of things. It's, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. Short answer is I don't know. I haven't looked into dogman sightings in the Pacific Northwest at all, actually. So same. Sorry. Let us, let us know, Alex. We're interested. I'm interested. Um, Always here for a dogman question. Uh, Adam, (laughs) Adam M says, Hey, it was so cool to meet you, Eli in Kelowna this past summer. Yeah. I think I know who this is. I think we met at the, uh, uh, Tim Hortons. I, I hope that's right. If that's right, Adam M, go ahead and comment that. But if you are who I think you are, it was very good to meet you. You made me feel very famous. <laughs> you are. You are. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers don't lie. 
Um, all right. <laughs> Kaiju Ninja 1985. Love that username, by the way. I have Mechagodzilla on my arm here. He hangs out with me all the time. Um, asks, has Eli ever heard any kind of vocalizations while camping with the OP, the Olympic Project? Also, is he planning on going back there next year? I have not heard any vocalizations while camping with the OP. And that's probably because I've only been camping with the OP twice now. Um, one was the first one was the longest and that was, I can't remember four or five days. Um, and that was in 2021. And then this past one, the one that's featured in this series was only two days. What, what you watch in this episode was only one day of a two day camping trip. <laughs> it's, it's mind blowing, but, uh, and I do plan on going back in February of next year. So I'm hoping something crazy happens because all the the going hypothesis is that these things build nests in February. That's what they thought in 2015 when they found the first nest site. And then as seen at the end of the first episode, Shane and Todd walk in on something making a nest. And that happened in February of 2020. And like I said, the salmon run through that ravine down below in February. So when I go out in February, I hope we come across something and I'm there to film it. So excellent. So stay tuned, basically. Yeah. I feel like we say that a lot on this show, but you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's always stuff coming. Uh, Barbara Shaw asks, what trigger objects uh, would you use besides food or vocals to pique their interest? That's a very interesting question, Barbara. Uh, besides food or vocals to pique their interest. I would say I'm very much of the mindset that if these things are apes, like all other apes, they'll be naturally curious. And so we don't need to do much really to pique their interest besides being normal campers. And so I think music, playing guitar or other instruments, I think, because you don't hear those, you don't hear music out in the forest. <laughs> so, I mean, there's the music of the forest or whatever, but there you don't hear someone playing guitar in the forest very often. And so I think like for me, I always try to bring a guitar when I go camping, mostly because I like playing guitar, but hopefully it brings something in, you know, mm -hmm. if you're playing some nice, gentle, relaxing guitar music and not like heavy death metal, I think maybe it would maybe entice something to come in and take a look. Mm -hmm. Sake of curiosity of nothing else, like a sound that's so alien to that environment, you would hope would draw some interest. Yeah. 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 Well, great, great question from Christina Benoit. Uh, speaking of music, if you get a person who has music theory background to listen to the singing sounds, I wonder if they can analyze the chords they're using. They seem to me to prefer a minor key. I love this idea. I just got incredibly excited about this. Um, what do you think? What do you think, man? I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot... <laughs> It would be interesting to see what a person who has a background in music theory would have to say about the vocals. Um, it's 
but that's the other thing too is I don't know if they're intentionally like preferring a minor key, right? That just might be um because I think you have to understand too, like music is something that developed naturally out of humans and it kind of it comes naturally to birds and stuff. And it was humans who classified minor and minor and major keys. And and so if Sasquatch is whistling in a minor key or something, that might just be how they do it. Uh, not necessarily that they prefer it or that they are choosing to do it that way. That just might be, hey, this is how I do it. Because yeah. the, the other interesting thing about the singing vocals, too, is that there's no obvious tune there. And, uh, you know, I guess you could, I guess, closely associate it with like a bird song. You know, you hear a bird song and... Really, what does a bird song sound like? It just sounds like a bunch of random whistles. There's no tune. There's no, no nothing we would describe as a melody, right? And so I think that's what's interesting. These singing vocals, there, there's musical aspects to them, but there, it's also lacking a lot of what we consider music. Mm, if that makes yeah. sense. Well, that's such, you said something really interesting, which is why I got so excited about this question is the idea of, you know, what we would define as a minor musical key showing up in the wild through an ape, uh, assumed ape species. That to me is a very exciting concept. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, I think that would go a long way to extra prove. I, I mean, already, all you have to do is listen to it to know it's not an, an animal that we know. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> but even going so far as to like, really classify that i think would take it a step further yeah yeah love that thank you christina you always have very interesting and enlightened questions yes. uh our, yes our friend kaiju ninja 85 who wins the award for coolest username of the night sorry folks uh asks when it comes to research what is the olympic project doing that makes them stand out um and in his eli your opinion what are things that the olympic project does uh that he thinks cross or that he thinks other researchers, goodness gracious, let me try this again. What are things that the Olympic project does <laughs> that he thinks other researchers should do or try? I don't know why that was so difficult for me. Sorry, everybody. Hey, it happens, man. You you got to listen to the outtakes of my narration for these episodes. Well, this is it's... such a well-written question too. I mean, yeah. this is a really <laughs> yeah. well-formatted sentence and I just destroyed it. But anyway. Um, when it comes to research, the OP, I think it all comes down to, I guess, multiple factors. Um, they hit the same area repeatedly, and they're constantly learning more information about this particular area, the nest area. And that's not the only location they go to, but I would say they have three or four locations in total that they kind of frequent fairly often, and the nest area being one of them. And I think, um, I know the NAWAC, uh, the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, does something similar. They have Area X, and there's also what's now known as Area A up in Alaska, the cabin up there. And I think that's a good strategy, is to keep frequenting the same area. And then also, the audio project that Chris is doing is incredible. And I think 
more so than game cameras, more so than anything else, audio recorders, you're able to hide them better because they don't need to, like a game camera needs to see. And so you're limited on where you can place it. An audio recorder, you could hide it under a rock and have the microphone sticking out, you know? And so you have that ability of completely concealing human technology and nature and recording all the time. And, but the caveat to that is someone needs to go through and analyze all of it. And that's a lot. And, but if you're able to do that and you're able to extrapolate all that information out, I think that goes the furthest in terms of identifying an actual pattern. Hopefully, hopefully the goal is that we can establish a pattern that can be followed as to when these things are coming into the area or other behaviors that they're doing, you know, um, and, and things like, uh, knowing the weather conditions and the temperatures of when these things are happening, which is something Chris has kept an eye on as well, is also indicative of that, that pattern seeking thing, because that's the, the biggest thing is we haven't been able to predict their behavior with a reliable amount of accuracy to predict where they're going to be and when. And I think doing that, a very intensive audio study brings us closer to that. And I think other researchers should be doing that in different areas. Very interesting. We do have a comment that we, of course, of course, we can't, uh, can't skip from Mr. Shane Corson of the Olympic Project. Hey, Shane, thanks for, thanks for being here. Uh, audio recorder are the least intrusive thing you can do. Hmm. Yes, I would agree. Very interesting point. Very cool. Great questions tonight, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. And speaking of great questions, Kenneth Simmons asks, uh, do you think they tried to mimic humans talking? And has anyone left a tape machine loop of someone talking to see if it's taken? Ooh, there's an idea. There is an idea. Uh, I've heard some stories about them mimicking humans talking uh, all over the country, actually. I think in West Virginia or New York, I forget where this story was, but uh, there was a hill that overlooked a school where, and the school had a soccer field and people would report things in the woods mimicking like soccer terms. And it's like, that's interesting because maybe they're standing up on that hill watching people play soccer and picking out words that, they don't necessarily know what they mean, but they just want to replicate. And then um, the, I guess the creepiest story comes from a guy named uh, Robert Leiterman, who is a part of the Bluff Creek Project. Um, he published a book, I think two years ago, called The Bluff Creek Project. And this story happened in Northern California in the Bluff Creek area, where he was camping in a tent and he had just laid down for the night and it was, it was late. And I think two or three in the morning and something, he hears something walk out of the woods and come up by his tent and say, Buenos Dias. And then it walked off and back into the woods. No, no, thank you. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so it's interesting. Yeah. I think, Oh no. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's cool. I think they do. Um, as for them understanding what those words mean, again, we don't know enough yeah. to know if they have a language or if they understand our language or anything like that. I don't think we know enough, but I think they are capable of mimicking our speech. Well, that's and not too much far, of a stretch, you know, like plenty of no. species of parrot can mimic human speech. That's not, that's not yeah. out of scope for nature. Yeah. No. And even, you know, uh, Coco the gorilla that they taught sign language and not mm -hmm. that, not that she understood like how we would understand like sentence structure and everything, but she put together the fact that if I make this symbol, this happens. She understood know? concepts. I was just reading on this the other right. day. She understood right. concepts. Yeah. Like she, I, they had a kitten that Coco would play with. It was like her pet kitten. And when it died, uh, she signed long sleep. So she understood concepts, but not, you know, sentence structure and stuff. That's so right. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. Great question, Kenneth. Love that. Love that. Uh, BH asks, uh, Ooh, got a, a double, double question here. Love this. Uh, BH asks, Eli, how did you get involved in the man wolf files? Let's, let's do that first. Okay. How did I get involved in the man wolf files? Uh, Carrick St. Laurent, my friend asked me to be part of it. And I said, yes. <laughs> I don't, there's not really a story behind it. He was That's like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to be part of it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was really an epic for the ages now yeah that's i mean that's how a lot of us get involved in these projects you, you, you yeah i guess i mean you can plug it i get you know the man wolf files is a series by my good friend carrick st laurent and we kind of analyze these purported pieces of dog man evidence and unfortunately all, <laughs> at least in the first season all of them were fake so <laughs> 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 but season two, who we'll see. We don't know. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Uh, second part of BH's question. Also, Aaron's a G fan. Sweet. It is sweet. Thank you, BH. Uh, what is your favorite Godzilla movie? Mine is G2000. Love G2000. My favorite Godzilla film is a rotating spectrum of like 10 of them. But right now it's GMK, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monster, All Out Attack, or Gojira Monstra, King Ghidorah, Daigaiju, Sokugeki in the original Japanese. <laughs> um, next year it'll probably be Sh Shin Godzilla again. Do you have a favorite Godzilla movie, Eli? Me? No, I don't actually. Um, okay. Maybe the OG Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, that's uh, a classic. I like, that's a good one. I like Kong shooting fire out of his fingertips. I'm also just a fan of miniatures, and there's lots of them in that. There are. Um, yeah. there, I haven't seen any other Godzilla movies of that era, so that's why I gravitate towards Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> and. Um, I don't know. I still have to see Godzilla minus one. I'm probably going to go tomorrow. It's very good. I won't turn That's this right. into a Godzilla show, but it's very good. Thank you for the question, BH. We can talk giant monsters anytime. Uh, Scott, <laughs> our good friend, asks, what are the conditions in that area in February? Um, and follow-up question, weather, temperature, etc. I think it's cold and wet. That's what I've been told. I haven't been there in February. Excuse me, and I'm looking forward 
for my trial by fire. Being out there, it's already it's it's a pain to walk in in April and in September. It's a pain. And I think what separates the nest area from a lot of different forests, and I'm really trying to bring home this 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 point, there is an insane amount of undergrowth. Like you can't walk. There's these vines. I don't know if I ever filmed them, but there's these vines that grow and your foot always manages to find its way underneath a vine. And (laughs) you're just tripping because your feet are getting caught on these vines. And then the vines, they have like these barbs that like stick to you and I they don't hurt, but they just, they stick. And so it's like a pain to get your foot out of them. And you're just like, dude, let me walk. And by the time you've cleared one foot out of a vine, your other foot's in a vine. And it's just endlessly repeating. <laughs> it's like, dude. Well, we even, we even see a, a log try to take one of these guys out in this one. I, I think it was uh, Shane or Chris. Oh, yeah. I can't remember now. Oh, but Eddie, yeah. Sorry, Eddie. This log just yeah. like it. It looks just like it goes after him. Like, <laughs> yeah, this it's, log had it, a plan. That's and if I may go off on a on a slight tangent, it's like that particular p- clip I put in there. Not only because it's funny, but it it goes to show because people send me pictures and stuff all the time of like trees that are broken, and it's like, oh, do you think a Bigfoot did this? And it's like, well, no, because Bigfoot's not the only thing that breaks trees out in the forest. The trees break on their own. They die, they decay, they fall apart, they get water damage. And like that is an example. That was like a tree, like a tree that had it out and out from the inside and was waiting tiny, tiny little touch to fall apart. apart. And when he grabbed, grabbed onto it, it, it snapped, you know? And it's like, whoa. And I think, I think the forest, the forest is constantly, constantly changing. changing. It's 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 constantly in flux, flux. And, that's, and that's another another part of. of oh, someone's text texting. We are having some audio issues, folks. Um, so apologies here. I'm not sure if it's coming through on my side. Um, we will continue the show as long as we're able to. But just uh, yeah, it looks I'm seeing it in the comments. Everybody's hearing it. I'm getting kind of a strange echo on my side, but uh, oh, looks like we lost Eli, folks. So sorry about that. We will get him back as soon as possible. Oh wait, there he is. Hold on, how do I sound? You sound great now. Okay, I don't know what's going on. Well, I hope I if if I'm not sure if everyone was hearing what I was hearing, but I'm really hoping that that makes it into the final recording because it was this really cool triple echo space sci-fi thing on my side. Uh, I don't know what everybody else was getting. I got got a couple of texts about it, so I think everyone heard it. So It was really cool, dude. It was really cool. Um, I'll decide if I'm going to edit it out of the audio version or not. I don't know. Um, Well, where was I? I don't know. Uh, we were talking about the tree that tried to take out Eddie. Oh, um, yeah. And how the, things will hang on just by a little bit of, of undergrowth. Well, fine, you know. 
yeah, the forest is constantly changing. And I think mm -hmm. if you're not consistently going back to an area, you're never, it's never the same twice, you know? And so that's why you have to go back to the same area so you can learn it and see how it changes over the course of many years. And that will allow you to know the area better. And I think, um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm eager to go in February. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. Mostly wet is what I hear. And we'll see how my cameras do in the wetness. Mm. So, so just add water to what we've been seeing in these last couple lots of episodes. Yeah, apparently lots of it. I mean, it's I've lucked out every time I've gone to the Pacific Northwest with sunny weather. But one of these days, it's <laughs> not going to happen. So One of these days. <laughs> Well, hopefully the cameras work because I want to. I want to see that. I'm not. I'm not going. I don't want to go. Um, Caster no. asks. Speaking of returning there, uh, yeah, are you bringing thermal drones? Is that an option? Uh, not this time. Um, this is what I'll say about thermal drones. I know there's like two different kinds, and um, and I'm not talking about brands or anything here. There's the consumer grade stuff which is what we have access to, which is, I've flown a thermal drone once. And the problem with that is they're not very good. The resolution's real low. And then on top of that, I did an experiment the first time and the only time I've ever flown a thermal drone was at night up at the Alaska cabin. And we did an experiment where I filmed the property owner walk from the shoreline into the woods to see if I could pick out a humanoid figure thermal signature in the woods. And as soon as he walked into the trees, the trees all turned into one shade because all the trees were the same temperature. And that was that it was just a giant mass of trees. And so bringing a thermal drone into the woods is just, it's just not going to work because I don't see how you could fly it at night. If everything is just a blur uh, is just one giant mass of white or black or whatever you have your settings to. And, but I also know that there's the military grade thermal drones, which they use to find like meth houses in uh, the woods. And I think it's going to be a couple of years before we get in, like that level of quality and consumer grade stuff. And it, at that point, I think is when we can start having the conversation of using thermal drones. I just so don't think they're good enough right now. There's still a technological limitation as far as that goes. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I've wondered that before. I just keep forgetting to ask you. Yeah. So great question, Caster. Thank you. <laughs> Tyler Hall asks, have any other Sasquatch research groups uh, reached out with similar evidence? I mean, I haven't been contacted by any Sasquatch research groups. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, with similar evidence, I... I don't know. Um, I know the NAWAC has some incredible stuff and I would love to do some stuff with the NAWAC, but that's, that's as far as I know. I, I don't know. Again, no one is doing what Chris Spencer's doing. The, the audio project, that's all Chris and there's no one else in the country doing anything like that. So 
I mean, people have vocalizations, people have interesting sounds, but not to the degree that Chris has recorded them. And that's not because Chris is lucky. Like we said, Chris recorded every single night of 2022, 365 days, you know? And that's why Chris has so much audio is because he records every single night. And so that's, uh, until someone else is doing that, I don't, no one I know has the same amount of evidence. Hmm. I mean, just the, just the organizing all that data, never mind reviewing it and, and the time commitment. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> great question, Tyler. Thank you. Um, we are coming up close to the hour. We have a few audience questions. I do want to try to get to everybody. So um, just to let you all know, I see you. We're going to, we're going to get there all together. Lisa Ayer. Ayers or Ayers, apologies, asks, uh, what do you guys think about the Bigfoot UFO connection? Many people see UFOs and Bigfoot at the same time. I don't know if that's true. Um, you you actually provide a really good uh, take on this question. I've heard you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like we've talked about this before. But, we have. Let's talk um, people see UFOs and Sasquatch in the same areas, but usually not at the same time uh they'll be on different occasions and i think just because they're seen in the same places i mean you think about where is sasquatch mostly seen he's seen out in the woods where there's the least amount of light pollution that's your greatest visibility of the stars in the night sky so more ufo sightings are going to be in places like that but on top of that um the only sighting that i know of that comes from a firsthand report and that's the only kind of report I'm going to put any stock in is, is a firsthand report because a second and a third hand, you're starting to lose lots of details and, and things start to kind of fall apart. And, um, and, and fall apart, I mean, like the, believe, the believability and the credibility is starting to be lost once it's like a second and a third hand account. But the only one comes from the 1970s and it was from Stan Gordon. And I guess technically it's a secondhand account, but he talked firsthand with the witnesses. And so his report comes from them. And it was a man and his two sons were on the edge of the property. And this occurred in um, Pennsylvania on the Chestnut Ridge. And they saw a UFO land in their field and they saw two upright, hair-covered hominids with glowing red eyes walking towards this UFO. And the father took a shot at him, and they backed off. I think there was three in total. They backed off and walked back into the woods, and then the UFO disappeared. It didn't fly back up. It vanished into thin air, and the police actually showed up, and there was burn marks in the grass from where it had been. And... Um, that is the only report I know of a Bigfoot and a UFO being seen at the exact same time. To me, in any credible sense, uh, I any other report I haven't come across has been even remotely close to firsthand. So that's what I would say about that. I don't think there's much to a Bigfoot UFO connection. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, our friend Kaju Digit. Kaiju Ninja 85 asks, and this is a question, uh, Shane. So hopefully Shane is still here and can help us answer, but you may know Eli. Um, has Chris used parabolics out in the nest site? I don't think so. Okay. And I don't know if there's a reason for that. 
I don't know if there's a reason if if Chris hasn't. I don't know if there's a reason for it or if he just hasn't gotten around to it or or what. So okay, cool. That, that's cool. all I know. Okay. <laughs> I think Shane is still here, so if he if he's able yeah. to respond, we'll follow up. But great question, uh, Mister or Mrs. Nineteen Eighty Five. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible terrible way to do that sorry folks uh caster asks have you seen the study results for primates uh to capture cams uh gorillas avoid them they also warn off other gorillas do you think bigfoot is or could be avoiding cameras and mics yeah um i know i know about chimpanzees avoiding trail uh trail cameras because of a study they did in Africa where they set up these trail cameras right on a chimpanzee trail that they were using every day. And as soon as they set up the trail camera, the chimpanzee stopped using it. And I don't think it's as, I don't know. People get really into the, Oh, they can see infrared. I don't think they can see infrared. I think they see the camera and are like, I don't know what that is. I don't want to walk in front of it. <laughs> and <laughs> And I think Bigfoot could be doing the same thing. Absolutely. I think they see the camera and they're like, I don't want to walk in front of that. What is that? And as far as mics, that's that's the other thing is you can hide a microphone a lot better than you can hide a camera because a, a microphone doesn't need to see. You know, that, that's the biggest downfall of a game camera is the fact that the lens always has to be exposed. Otherwise, you can't see it. And um mics all you, i mean you can use a little a little itty bitty mic that's sticking out that nothing's ever going to notice because it's so small you mm -hmm. know and then hide the actual recorder itself tucked away completely out of view and but i there is some speculation at least chris has that he um that they're aware of his audio recorder but that's the other thing too and probably supports the idea that they don't know what these things do. They don't know what a game camera is. They don't know what an audio recorder is because Chris thinks that they're aware of one of his recorders, but they still make sounds around it. And maybe because they don't realize that they're being recorded. <laughs> and I think, you know, they just see this box out there and they're like, we don't know what this is. And they're kind of making their sounds or whatever unbeknownst to them that all of that audio is being captured mm -hmm. so um they can try to skirt around it all they want but all their audio is being picked up you know whereas with a game camera you only have one field of view and if they skirt around it you'll never know that they were there that's interesting that's it. yeah that's wild because you're i mean you're talking about a creature that presumably if it's a primate doesn't have a point of reference for the concept of camera or recording so sure. I don't know. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. A uh, couple more questions. We'll try to we'll try to rapid fire through these so we get to <laughs> okay. Barbara Shaw asks, will you be going back to the Adirondacks? I hope so. Hopefully. Hopefully. I, I hope. We'll get that's it. that's all I can say. I have no plans for it, but I would like to. We'll I like over. the Adirondacks. Get over there. Uh, <laughs> Shane is still here and does have a follow-up answer. Um, we have used parabolic dishes in the past, so that is being done. <clears throat> Thank you, Shane. Yeah, Great. good, good job, hardcore Corson. 
hardcore Corson. I love that. <laughs> uh, once more, our friend 1985 asks, Eli, uh, what is a top area, state, or some part of the country that you want to investigate that you have yet to and why? Probably Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, I want to go to Area X with the NAWAC. So I that's I haven't done that yet. So we should do that. I'm only a few hours from Oklahoma. We can make that happen. There you go. Let's also yo, you know what? Texas. I haven't been to Texas. <laughs> you haven't. There's so much Bigfoot down here, bro. We'll we'll talk about it at some point. Jeez, so much. Uh BH asks, Eli, when is Eminem? That's Mysteries and Monsters returning to the show in 2024. Um, any month you're shooting for, or is it just next year for now? That is the question and i would say just next year for now there there's a lot going on with the mysteries and monsters and i'm not sure when it will come back okay okay so stay tuned stay tuned um vicky has an interesting question it may be difficult to rapid fire this one but you know you you know you know what you're doing um why do you think no one is doing any research on this and i assume that we're talking about the audio the mass audio recording um it, wait sorry say that again you, you said uh in terms of recording the audio yeah recording. yeah this question came up while we were talking about uh the audio research they're doing yeah oh uh why is no one doing any research on this i mean besides chris spencer i think because it's a lot of work um i will say this in the nicest way possible but chris has kind of got an obsessive personality and you know, I do too, to an extent, but I have a million different interests. Chris is a man of singular focus, and he chose Bigfoot audio to be his singular focus, and he does it exceptionally well. That is, that's and a, that's such a commitment, man. Gosh. It is. It is. If I could sit there and do something like that for years on end, I would. I would probably be the greatest at whatever I chose to do which is probably why Chris is so good at what he does. <laughs> but I, I mean, if you're referring to like the mainstream, um, that, that gets into a bigger question of like, why isn't there any research into Sasquatch at all? And I think because it's still largely a taboo sub subject, especially in the world of academia, you know, uh, the, the world of academia would, you know, be like oh well maybe sasquatch could be something and then they'll type in sasquatch on youtube and the first thing that comes up is me and you talking about you know godzilla movies and they're like okay we we know everything we need to know <laughs> you know so yeah, i've heard enough of this okay <laughs> yeah so i i mean yeah that's that's my short answer to that hmm. awesome thank you great, vicky great question vicky yeah um, we have a couple questions from our friend Mothman46, uh, and I'm going to answer this first one for you. When is Eli going to wear his brown pants and dig into Dogman? Uh, Eli actually ventured with myself into the land between the lakes uh, in pursuit of Dogman and perhaps other things recently. And I won't say anything more on that. I'll just say that he's done it. He has done it. And then uh, <laughs> Mothman46 also asks, uh, do we really believe Bigfoot avoids drones while ignoring jets, Cessnas and such? Why would he know it's capable of catching his image? Interesting. Interesting question to what we were talking about before. Well, I think there's a difference between jets and Cessnas, which they fly so high up in the air. And 
drones, they fly much closer to the ground. And I've noticed planes fly overhead my house all the time and they never bother my dogs. As soon as I take up my drone, they freak out. They don't like it. If I fly my drone over the dogs, they're running away from it. They don't know what it is. They don't like it. It makes a loud buzzing sound. You know, they don't know what it does. All they know is that it's this weird object that's flying in the sky. They don't even necessarily understand that it's controlled by me. They just know it's this weird thing that Eli put out on the ground and now it's flying in the air and it's chasing me and it's making a loud sound and they don't like it. And I would imagine that, I mean, that's a domesticated animal. I would imagine wild animals really don't like it because they really have no clue what it is. Hmm. And so I think, you know, even if Sasquatch was a curious creature, I don't think they would be really open to something that was loud and flying through the air, flying right at them. (laughs) So I think it might freak them out. They might try to hide away from it. So, but I mean, again, with the thing, I mean, if, if that's in reference to the thermal drone, I, again, I don't, you're not going to fly in between trees with a thermal drone at night. It's just not going to happen. The, Thermal signatures, it just, I don't necessarily know how it works, but I know how it looks on camera. And when you're looking at such a large swath of trees, it's not, the the thermals that are on these drones aren't good enough to pick out each individual tree like like a monocular thermal or a binocular thermal does. Instead, what happens, it's like, it's like, thermal technology from 10 years ago. It sees a large group of trees and it lumps them all together in the same thermal signature. So say you have your thermal set to white hot. So all objects are highlighted in white. Well, all the trees are going to turn white and then your your entire screen is white because it can't make out these individual trees. And so that's, you're, you can't see where you're going, period. You know, there's not a different view when you're flying a thermal drone. You're, you're looking at it with the thermal signatures. And if you're just flying into a big chunk of white, you're asking to lose your drone. So Mm -hmm. that's, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know anything about drones. I just know they're small and they, they go in the air. So, yeah, (laughs) well, we are, we are past the hour folks. So we will go ahead and wrap up for the night. Um, a big thank you to everybody for showing up. Thank you for your comments and questions. Apologies. Once again, as always, if we missed any questions, um, we try to get to everybody, but you know, you guys are too smart. It's, we can't get through them too fast. So Eli, thank you so much for coming back. I'm sure we'll see you again in the future. Thank you. I hope to be back one day. You will. You will. I, oh. I hope. thanks Aaron (laughs) yes sir thank you everybody have a great night we will see you next week goodbye you've been listening to the small town monsters broadcasting network if you enjoyed this show consider giving it a like review rating or sharing it with a friend and be sure to visit smalltownmonsters.com for more info about this and other STM projects